Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Tom Block, Keith Jones with you. This is Front Row Knowles. KJ, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I guess the age-old thing for the immediate time is we're all battling the heat, but doing well. Well, we can show ahead today. I mean, I feel like the summer doldrums, the heat's not gone, but the doldrums are over because ACC kickoff is next week. Kurt Weiler from the Osceola will join us, and we'll preview that a little bit. It's nice to have Florida State as part of the main event and not one of the bouts that's on before you actually start watching the pay-per-view, to use a reference from back in our heyday, KJ. Exactly, exactly. And uh, I'm going to be interested in see what the stories are that come out uh, of, you know, maybe back to the Clemson FSU, FSU Clemson rivalry. And then, of course, you've got what Pittsburgh uh, brings to the table. And uh, it's going to be a little interesting or a little more interesting maybe than years past. ACC kickoffs in the middle of next week. I think uh, folks arrive in Charlotte on Monday night and then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday is when you'll see most of the media circus on that. So Kurt Weiler will join us. We'll talk Florida State football. And then Link Jarrett, head baseball coach as well. And Keith, I say this about anybody who's in college athletics as a coach. It's crazy to me that they hitch themselves to the decisions of 18 to 22-year-olds. But I think it's craziest in college baseball where I don't even know what you must have a whiteboard. And if you got 40 names on it, who's on your roster? Every day when you show up, five names are gone because of the draft or the portal and another four names are on there. I don't know how they do it. Uh, the biggest piece of uh, office equipment you have is an eraser. <laughs> as you, think as you about how disheartening things. that is. It, exactly. Think about how disheartening that is. Exactly. You know, you, you've recruited a kid and he gets drafted number 12, number 15, number 22. Keeping him is basically impossible. Yeah, Link Jarrett will uh, join us. And he had to hire 75% of his staff again, two assistants. Uh, he's still got to get a a new GA, that that gentleman moved on. He's got to get a, a director of ops. So busy summer for Link, and we appreciate that he joined us for a few minutes. All that is straight ahead. It's, uh, it's up next here in Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Time to open up that Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. And we say hello to our Osceola insider this week, Kurt Weiler, who is uh, traveling, enjoying his summer. Kurt, you get a little vacay in, a little baseball stadium tour, Braves game. What you got going? Yeah, I was so I was in L.A. and then I had something else that was a. Uh, this was not as fun a trip in Cleveland, but still nice to get away while I can. I mean, it's AC kickoff next week. We're basically there. We are, and, and we'll get to that. So my son and I have just started doing the baseball stadium thing, and it occurs to me, you do that, don't you? If you were in L.A., like yes. how many stadiums have you been to, Kurt? Oh, I don't know the number. It's about half, maybe a little over half now. It's like maybe in the 17 or 18 range. We're getting there. Okay. We're getting there. All right, so you do – how many do you try to do a year? Uh, normally just one or like two. We make it more like about the city. We make it about like – we go to a game, but we also experience the city instead of like, oh, we can do, you know, Seattle with with San Fran or something like that, you know. Gotcha. Well, Kurt, you got to fess up. You got to fess up. If you were in Cleveland, did you go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? I did. 
I did there on Monday. Go. That's our boy. I've been a few times. I've been it's been a few years since I went, but I was there on Monday. I can officially say, Keith, and you would have been by my side. I, I'm pretty sure. And uh, Keith and I have been to Alaska together, Kurt, for the Great Alaska Shootout. But the coldest I've ever been in my life, I'm pretty sure, was in Cleveland. And this was early in Leonard's tenure when FSU lost a game at Cleveland State, KJ, minus 19. And we only had to walk from the arena to the bus. And that 18 seconds was the most miserable 18 of my life. Do you recall? I, I, I recall. I have taken a few trips there in January, February, that time of year. And being right on the lake like that, it is brutal. The lake effect is no joke. It is. It is no joke. Of course, we go to the lake effect right now over what we have in Tallahassee. But anyway, let's let's get to football. You you mentioned ACC kickoff starts next week, and that really is kind of the, the line in the sand that we're here. Uh, we're talking on Tuesday, but on Wednesday morning, Florida State has a media availability. And who, who do they have? They have uh, Tatum Bethune. Is and I'm forgetting the other think, name at present. Is it Renardo? Yeah, it's Renardo. That's right. So Thought, and, then, and then they announced on Tuesday that it's going to be Jared Verse, Kalen DeLoach, and Jordan Travis who will be at ACC kickoff. So his uh, thoughts on the selections, just spreading the wealth around and uh, giving some some guys a, a chance to talk to the local media before bringing the bigger names to the ACC? Yeah, it's nice for them. They did the same where a few weeks ago we got Jordan and Trey Benson, where we knew like Jordan's going to be a kickoff. But I, to me, that was a, it made sense as a – well, Trey may not get to go to kickoff just because of numbers, but it's a cool opportunity for him to talk about his summer, what he hopes to achieve kind of before preseason camp kicks off. And those guys are important guys on the defense, no doubt. Despite what they brought in through the portal, you're going to need, I think, good from Tatum, Bethune, and Renardo. In terms of AC kickoff, I think Jordan and Jared were shoe-ins. I would have I, I thought probably, especially because he did it last year, it would have been Fabian again. Fabian Lovett uh, again and maybe the third guy. But I do think that's a setting that fits Kalen a little more. I think Kalen handle like enjoys the media stuff a little more maybe than Fabian so I think it makes sense on 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 that front my thought was I haven't asked Eric Satterfield at FSU how many FSU guys have gone three times this is Jordan's third time he went with McKenzie in 2021 he went last year and now he's going for a third straight year I have to imagine that's not a big number I gotta imagine he's the only one I'm just trying I, to think Tommy out what do you think you're going to hear at, at kickoff there's been times when there's been a major announcement. There's been times when there was significant questions and a story came out. What do you think the lead things, the topics are going to be this go around? Yeah. Florida state's always really good about, I know like we get Mike Norvell for like maybe 15, 20 minutes on the record, like the morning before he gets thrown to the wolves of everyone there. And that's always helpful because it lets us dive into what he's willing to share in terms of the health of the team kind of coming into preseason. Obviously a lot of guys who I think you're going to be counting on or hope you're going to be counting on weren't out there in the spring. I mean, guys were either something happened during spring. They had something coming into spring like a Braden fist. And I'll be interested to see what he's willing to share there. Um, to me, I mean, the, the press conference room, you never get a ton out of at is the kickoff. It's always that breakout room they have set up on the side where you get the real valuable stuff, and, and it, it'll be interesting to see what they have to say. I mean, looking at it from the rest of the ACC, I think we've already talked to them a good bit about it, but I think a lot of the ACC people want to hear, like, how are they going to deal with the pressure and the expectations that are going to come with, I mean, being, in my opinion, we'll see if it happens. I'm probably picking Florida State to win the ACC going into the year. I, I haven't, I don't have to nail that down, I guess, until next week, but 
quite possible they're the preseason ACC favorites, either them or right behind Clemson. And uh, I think a lot of people are going to want to know how, how they plan to address that. So, Kurt, let's think about this in terms of those personalities in front of the media. Coach Norvello is great with his access, but there's a lot of coach speak in there. You're not going to get anything that's going to light any fires that he's going to say. Jordan Travis is milk toast. Hey, I, I, haven't, I haven't talked to Kalen Deloach enough to know what might come there. But Jared Verse, and it doesn't come from a bad place, but he is supremely confident, and it feels like he's the one who could we're going to shock the world type comments that grab some headlines. What do you think? He is. I, yes, I, I could agree with you there. And I also think, I think Fabian Lovett may have actually been that guy last year, who I think was talking about what they thought they could achieve. But I think also, I mean, Jared versus the player people know, but I think this will be a coming out party for Jared versus the personality. We see that personality and how the, the, like you talked about the good quotes he gives, how good of a quote he is, how much he, seems to enjoy that type of stuff. And I think a lot of ACC types are going to learn that uh, about him as he gears up for a year where he kind of tries to cement himself as a, as a first round draft pick. And yeah, he's definitely, I think they're likely, I think Kalen though too, Kalen's got a lot of that personality. I, I like Jordan a lot. Jordan definitely subscribes to the, like you said, the Mike Norvell, don't give away too much uh, a theory. And I think the other two, especially Jared, could give you a little more, could be the, the maybe more entertaining interviews. <laughs> How long will it be for one of the Tobacco Road writers ask Verse, well, how's it feel to be the projected number one pick in the draft? <laughs> I, I'm sure it'll, those, those media breakout rooms or the press conferences when they have to kind of fill time and it's often the same people in that press conference room who always want to say their name and ask a question. Uh, it's, it's, it's always very funny, some of, the, some of the stuff that comes up there. No doubt uh, that will probably come up and be interested to see how he handles that. You already identified what one of the major storylines is going to be, not just a kickoff, but all year it's going to be, well, how, you know, now that you're the hunted, how are you going to handle the pressure? That's going to be ad nauseum over the next couple of months. But that said, you've been to kickoff several times, Kurt. And I'm not saying it's not still Dabo's show. I mean, they're still sort of the king until they're dethroned. But for Florida State to have a Heisman candidate and a, and a guy that's a, maybe he's a, he said that the number one pick in the draft, right? But he's mocked as a top five in some already. I mean, it's nice for Florida State to be back on the main stage again. There's a world where, I mean, Florida State, we'll see. They both, both I think, will be contested. There's a world where Florida State has the preseason offensive and defensive player of the year in Jordan Travis and Jared Verse. Like, that's that's possible. Those are things that are also voted on up there. And, yeah, it's, uh, it is nice because, truthfully, when I started going to kickoff regularly around 2015 was kind of right after the, the golden years. And when that started to Florida state was still the golden child for a while. Dabo was, Dabo was kind of the, uh, Oh, what can this guy do? What's he, you know, he was starting to become and Clemson was starting to become what they became. But yeah, I have not truly been much when Florida state was kind of viewed as highly as they are this year, with the exception of probably what, like a 2017 when they were, but, but even that, I think, I mean, we, we all saw the, the warning signs in those years leading up to 2017. But so it will be a, a unique change of pace. I think uh, something Florida State fans uh, will have no doubt along for and look forward to. Hey, KJ, one, one second. Go ahead. Go ahead. There, there, there is zero chance that Jordan Travis is the preseason offensive player of the year when Drake May is at UNC. And and 80% of that media is from the Tar Heel that, State. Come on now, Kurt. That that may hurt him. You're right. And 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 maybe I shouldn't. I get it. 
my my reasoning is Drake may lost his number one receiver and lost his offensive coordinator. So I think I have valid reasoning for saying that. Drake May is very impressive. Drake May will get drafted higher than Jordan, I have to imagine. But, yeah, you're probably right. But I, I bet Jared's defensive player of the year. I don't know who the, the main contenders would be there, honestly. It sounds like we have a wager going on here, folks. Sounds like we have a wager. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not betting that because KJ is right. You have to be there to get a vote. It's, and it's not distributed of, oh, this school gets five, this school gets five, this school gets five. It is whoever's there. And, obviously, it's very Tobacco Road-centric. So I, you're, you're, you are right, Tom. Kurt, not to spill any beans, but uh, of the other ACC participants beside FSU and Clemson, who are you looking forward to talking to and what about? Um, yeah, well, I mean, this is, I guess, the, uh, the, the first year of the, the new division list format. And so with that, we get to see some more familiar faces. We're not really concerned, I mean, with what NC State's saying, with what Louisville's saying, because they're not on the schedule this year, where they really, since, since Louisville came in the league and since Florida State's been in the league, they've been on the schedule every year. So, it, I mean, it would be interesting. I mean, Miami's obviously a big, this feels like a big year, too, for Mario Cristobal with his, uh, his new, entirely new, uh, coaching staff or entirely new coordinator group, I should say. And uh, yeah, I found it really interesting last year at kickoff. It very much seemed like people were trying to put huge expectations on them. And he was trying to, as much as he could, pump the brakes of saying like, yes, well, yeah, and 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 limit it. it maybe he knew at that time, like, this isn't what people think it's going to be in year one. Um, Pat Narduzzi and Pant is obviously, I think, uh, one that that is, is circled on the, uh, on, on the schedule as a this could be a late season trip up type spot, depending on where Florida State's record is at that point. And that's obviously, I mean, it'd be the first time Florida State's played up there since 2013. Um, I mean, I, I feel like obvious, uh, always there's that Wake Forest factor. I mean, that's been the thorn in Florida State's side a bit lately, even as uh, even as they've been improving under Mike Norvell. And so I think uh, Dave Clawson's got some, some answers as well in replacing Sam Hartman and replacing a number of great receivers and a lot of contributors on kind of that played a big role in their recent run. Maybe Clawson will get hired by Northwestern. It could happen. Yeah. I mean, that might be FSU's best bet. Although after this year, I think FS, I think Wake is off the schedule next year. And this year, at least it's not Hartman or Riley Skinner or one of the other ninth-year quarterbacks that they like to roll out. I don't think it's a bad year to get them, but it is on the road, and it's that week before Pitt. I think it's the only back-to-back -back road games of the year, so it's an interesting stretch, no doubt. Other things going on in Florida State Athletics, Kurt, and I know it's it's uh, middle of July. I mean, this is really as dead as it gets, although uh, on the recruiting front, it hasn't been very dead. So I guess before I transition, Florida State picked up three more commitments last weekend. There's a couple big five-star fish that are still out there that are going to commit somewhere last week of July and first week in August. General thoughts on, on where FSU is heading right now and, and how this is shaping up? They, I mean, I think they're they're where they should be. I understood the the frustration of June. I think on the last day of June, I might have wrote a column about how, I mean, I think Florida State fans are frustrated because they saw what Florida was doing on the trail in that it was landing all the kids in June and surging up to, I think, what, third in the in the class rankings. I would say, first off, I would urge you not to get too worked up over June recruiting rankings because the funny thing about recruiting rankings is uh, a lot can happen between June and December in a recruiting class. What I talked about, I mean, Florida State is not in a position to need to rush people to commit, to need that good PR like Florida is. But I thought that it would lead to July fireworks. They didn't feel the need to rush kids. They wanted kids to make decisions on their own timeline. But clearly, they they made a big impact with 
all they did in June. And yeah, if they can finish it with uh, uh, this, not finish the class, but finish this stretch with, I mean, a Charles Lester and maybe even a, a KJ Bolden that seems more realistic than it did a week ago, that's a, that's a big deal. I mean, that would be beating Georgia for another two kids that Georgia wants very bad. And that's not an easy thing to do in recruiting. And I think it would just be further proof of that, that Mike Norvell is capable enough in that, in that area to, to get Florida state where it needs to be. I like the Makai Danzi addition enough. It seems like, I mean, there he's the second running back in the class. If that is where he lands, which it seems like it is. And he seems very happy to kind of know how his game complements Cam Davis's the, the high four star who's already in the class. And uh, I mean, what they did in the offensive line too, they had some misses in the class earlier on the offensive line on guys they were in on, but those are, those are, I mean, Jonathan Daniels and Ty Hilton are two, you beat some good programs for them and they're two additions at a position of need. And I think the class is, uh, it's starting to look like you thought it would coming off this season. And like you said, I mean, the two coming up and more guys who may take their recruitments to December, they're setting themselves up to be in position. And now it's about if they can close. Kurt, do you make anything, I know some of the media types have, you make anything about this perceived rivalry between Colorado and Florida State because of Dion's presence? Um, Dion, I mean, obviously, it, it, I, I know, I mean, it, it's a weird situation. It does feel like anytime a Florida State guy comes available, and obviously when Dion was looking to add so many guys through the portal, that, that uh, when Florida State had so many guys go in, it makes sense. And Dion obviously has plenty of Florida ties from throughout his uh, his career dating back to high school, obviously. But it, uh, yeah, the, I mean, there's a, a Charles Lester's a type, and I think there's a reason why Colorado has emerged as a, as a bit, maybe the biggest threat for Charles Lester. A Charles Lester type, a guy from Florida who is that charismatic, I mean, he might see himself in Dion. And so, I think Dion can appeal to those types. I think that was a big part of the uh, the Travis Hunter thing too. And so, uh, whether it's personal or not with Dion, I'm not sure. I think Dion would love to be the Florida State coach, obviously. And and with how things are going right now for Mike Norvell, doesn't seem like that's a possibility anytime soon. But I, I do wonder if uh, if if Dion makes an effort to get in certain recruitments or go after certain kids because of. Uh, Florida State's involved them with them. I don't, wouldn't be I wouldn't be stunned by any means. Kurt, we'll let you go on this. Just uh, this is a broad-based question, but when you look at the rest of FSU athletics, uh, an alum, you know, former Florida State golfer, won on the PGA Tour this week. The women's basketball team announced they're going to do a Europe trip over to Greece and Croatia, and the three baseball players made the Cape Cod uh, All-Star team which that's a pretty strong league and good for those guys. But anything jump out about any of those or anything else in FSU athletics right now? Um, no, I mean, it's the, the, the baseball is, is good for sure. You hope that, I mean, especially two of them being the, the homegrown, like the homegrown guy, the guys who've been around, I mean, it, it's a, a big deal because that program, I mean, obviously they, they formally announced the, uh, their new recruiting coordinator, Ty McGahee, uh, this, this morning as well. This is going to be an important year for Link. So if, if those guys, if Cam, if James Tibbs, if if the other guys have been up in the Cape, or I know a lot of guys have been all over Florida, if they uh, if, if they take that next step, that would be significant because uh, this does feel like a very important year for Link. Not a make or break year by any means, but a year where you would hope you'd start seeing those positive signs that I think we all expected to see under his leadership. That is a perfect segue because Link Jarrett has just joined the Zoom waiting room and is joining us next segment. Kurt, safe travels back to Tallahassee. Thank you as always, sir.
Thanks, guys. All right, more Front Row Knowles with the head baseball coach right after this. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom Block, Keith Jones, really pleased to be joined by FSU's head baseball coach, Link Jarrett, who joins us via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline. Link, how are you, sir? Doing great. Just got the middle schoolers done with camp. Nobody melted today, so um, that's a positive. Kind of fun. That that age that, I don't know, what they're 12 to maybe 14 or 15, that's a really fun age. So we've got a nice group out there today. It's, it's fun to see them. They're so eager and uh, coachable. Fun. Good stuff. I call this the off-season link, but it occurs to me that I think it's busier than the season for you in the college baseball world. In, in your case, you're working the transfer portal. The draft was last week. You don't know who's coming and who's going. And, oh, by the way, you lost two assistant coaches and a graduate assistant and a longtime director of ops who's an FSU baseball legend. So it's just another day in the life of Link Jarrett right now, I guess. Well, you know, those guys start – Chuck got the job first at Navy, I guess. Rich started the interview at UCF, and then Chuck got – those jobs are phenomenal steps for those individuals as head coaches. There's 310 head coaching jobs, and when you boil it down, as an assistant coach who hasn't been a head coach, how many of those jobs are realistic for you to grab? And the Notre Dame-Navy connection is as strong as any two institutions in the world. That gave Chuck an opportunity. And then Rich, having played at UCF, you, those things are hard. It's hard for folks to get those jobs, not to mention that it lined up that well in a short period of time. So those guys are well on their way to being great head coaches. And, you know, financially it takes care of their family. And those are great situations. The big shooter, uh, Chip's unbelievable. I know he likes – I bet we'll see him back on the TV before it's all said and done. Um, you know, he walked in and said, Link, it's time. And um, buckle me. Uh, Chip was like a, a mentor and obviously coached me. And I think he realized there's other things he wants to do, have a little more freedom with Katie, jump back on the TV, and uh, he's going to be just fine. He's out there at camp having a big old time. So um, Chip's, Chip's beautiful. And the draft. You just never know how that's going to go. There, there's always surprises. There's surprises that are good, and there's surprises that are bad. And we're dealing with eight, nine different draft situations and maybe less than I anticipated. Uh, but it is part of the industry. It's difficult. You never know where it's going to land. July 25th is the signing date, so the draft ended on the 11th. But yet the drafted players do not need to make a decision until July 25th. We've onboarded 27 new players. That's, you know, a dozen or so freshmen. That's three or four JUCO guys. And that's eight, nine, 10 transfer division one transfers. And we needed to do that. So it has not been easy. This has been something that started with the freshmen. Those kids signed in November, the transfer situation in college athletics. Unbelievable. There's 5,000 baseball players in the portal as we speak. And clearly, I, I feel like we made some nice progress in developing, you know, a roster with a little more 
flexibility in left and right-handed hitters, a little more age, a little more depth, and that's the whole point of what you do. It has been, in my 20-something years of this, the last four or five weeks of recruiting have been unlike anything I've ever seen in, in college baseball. Amazing. Link, when you got to Tallahassee, you were wide open. It was a sprint. It wasn't a marathon. You go through the season. Obviously, you, as much as anybody, you know, kind of disappointed in the results from a one-loss perspective. But now that, although you've been busy, you've been able to collect your thoughts a little bit. As you reflect back on your first season, what, what, what occurred you maybe didn't see? What did you learn? What can you take from that as you continue to build forward? Well, we had a a chance with Wyatt Crowell in play, whether he was relieving or starting, that was our one weapon that we had, you know, Bowmeister by the end of it all developed into clearly being a very competitive pitcher. Um, but the difference in the team really was when you didn't have Wyatt, it exposed a lot of other things, you know, to right. put other pitchers in roles that they may not have been suited for. It's what we had. We didn't have a chance last summer, this time, nobody was here really to, to handle the transfer opportunities. So we really didn't have any, any transfers and we were very young. So it's hard to be young. And you could ask any coach in the country right now with the ability to have transfers when you have 27 guys that are freshmen and sophomores of 35, just the maturity and the physicality and the, the capabilities of some of the guys that don't have the experience. Like that's not anything I learned. I just had to deal with it this year. And, and I hope that we don't have to revisit that. Now, right. clearly, you're going to onboard freshmen every year. But you also have to onboard some older kids and some transfers and some junior college kids to maximize what the roster looks like from an age experience and the stratus of the classes on the roster so that you aren't too bottom heavy. I mean, I'm not going to say I learned that. I just had to learn how to deal with it this year. Um, you know, pitching depth, we, we were very limited. And with that, without Wyatt, um, we clearly struggled. Did I learn that? No. Did I have to deal with it? Yes. So learning how to deal with it was, was tough. Um, and it's what it was. There was nothing really we could do. I, I thought, you know, Colton did a great job behind the plate. I thought Cam hung in there at third and learned how to do that. He's having a, just a fantastic summer in the Cape. And, you know, you kind of go around the horn. Um, we just weren't quite where we needed to be with experience and capabilities positionally to hold serve there. So is that something I learned? I, you know, I saw it from the first week of our fall practice. I, I just think Wyatt was the one that it kind of swung the pendulum the other way when you lost the most dynamic arm you had in your, in your stable there. You mentioned Cam, he, James Tibbs and uh, Jamie Arnold all made the all-star team in the Cape. So, uh, that's certainly good news there. Uh, tell us a little bit about those three coming back for you in the summers they're having. Well, we've talked about it a lot. I've talked with you guys about it. Cam's pitch recognition, the ability to navigate the strike zone and handle difficult pitching at this level. Like, There's one way to learn it. That's you have to go through it and learn it and try to adjust and adapt. And I thought he did it throughout the course of the season. And you can see that he's doing it in the Cape. Um, you know, I talk to people weekly up there. He's just been phenomenal. Uh, Jamie Arnold, we had him in a role early as a starting. I think he started on Saturday a couple times, and that's a lot to ask of a freshman. And he's, I think he's gained a little strength and confidence. Um, he's learning himself and how to, to pitch at the college level. 
Uh, he's clearly started some games and been fairly effective, and he's also been effective out of the bullpen. Now, when we get back into the fall and you have Micah here, a, a new pitching coach that uh, embraces the technology and the data, Chuck did too, but we have more in place. We're building our little pitching lab right now in the cage. So that'll help Jamie. That'll help him learn more about himself, and we'll figure out what role fits him best with the influx of new pitchers that we do have. Um, I, you know, it's too early for me to say what he's going to do, but I know he's going to be impactful and he's going to be really a special left-handed arm. Tibbs is an advanced hitter. I, I saw that, you know, he was hurt all fall and really didn't get out there till the preseason. So I didn't get an extended look at him, but you could tell his adaptation to the course of the at-bat, pitch selection, some power to all fields, really, really good. And he's continued to do that in the Cape. I, the, the power numbers on are, are not off the charts, but he's really trended in a positive direction here in the second half of the Cape summer. And he's bounced around, played the outfield a little bit. He's played some first. And um, we'll, we'll probably have the same look for him in the fall. A lot of outfield, I think, still some first base, which will help him as a professional. That versatility, uh, nobody's going to argue with that when you get into pro ball. Link, you mentioned Coach Posey, and uh, many folks will be familiar with him going all the way back to his uh, North Florida Christian days. But what's exciting you about this staff as you guys start learning about each other and get ready for fall? Well, the most exciting thing right now is one is in Atlanta, Georgia, watching 400 teams compete in a World Woodbat Championship. And the other one's in the Northwoods League watching, you know, a couple more transfer candidates that we have. So that's that's where it starts now. The interview process with Micah, I knew Micah, but I had not coached him or coached with him like I had Coach McGahee. Uh, right. So I saw I saw his work when I was at Greensboro. I watched East Tennessee State's arms just transform themselves in a period of time from one year to the next. And it didn't take long for me to see who was behind that. And it was him and guys that made their way all the way to the big leagues. Like, I mean, some dynamic arms that he built. So it started there. And then what they did at Dallas Baptist, I should say what they do year in, year out. They've been very consistent. Um, he's produced fantastic arms. Um, his mixture of the modern analytics and the old school flat out fundamentals of the delivery and fielding your position and management of the game. It was a no-brainer. He's from Tallahassee. He knows this area. But when you look at what we're doing recruiting, to have people that know other parts of the country so that when there's a transfer, you have a connection somehow, some way to maybe have a shot to land a transfer from other parts of the country. We can't, as much as I would like all of Florida State baseball to be from in the panhandle in South Georgia, it's impossible. Like, you can't do it. So being able to attract people from other areas to supplement and build the roster. That's what this staff is about. And Brad's out of the same mold. Like he was at Indiana state and they're a super regional they're almost in Omaha and he helped build that. So um, that's pretty unique and, and no doubt helpful. Hey, Link, going back to the draft and I know you mentioned the July 25th date. Um, well, first, first of all, I mean, it used to be that there was 50 rounds in the draft and it took place during Omaha and, it would go right down to the day classes started and all that. Is it is it a better setup now, or is it still flawed if you're a college baseball coach? What what would you do to change it? I think it's worse. Um, the the timing of it, I just 
I think it's as hard for the the draft to be July 9th. Like the time frame you have, the portal closed on July 13th. So, I mean, think about what's going on between the 9th and the 13th. Some of these kids that are trying to decide, like, is the roster inundated at various schools? Do I need to go in the portal or do I not? The draft butting up to the portal, it's very, very difficult, very tough. I wish it was earlier. Do the scouts like it so they can monitor these guys? And now they have the draft combine, so they do all the medical stuff. You know, the NFL combine, it. those guys really don't go back to school in the spring to prepare for the combine. Well, the baseball combine is sandwiched in there between the end of the season and the draft, and there's so much chaos. It's, it's nuts. Um, you know, there was the year I dealt with 16 drafts on my Auburn team and, and with my recruits. Um, that was tough, but the calendar allowed you a little more time to figure out what was going to happen. The signing deadline is helpful, but yet because the draft is so late, it just puts so much pressure on everybody in a condensed period of time with the portal and the draft and, you know, some of the other issues that you have been trying to solidify the roster. So this is tough and no other sport. Not at Florida State. At Notre Dame, the hockey guys dealt with the draft. But all the other high school players, athletes, have to go to school. I know basketball might be for one year, but the problem we have are the guys that are in summer school right now that were also drafted high school players, and they're trying to figure out what to do. So in the world of athletics, man, the month of July and August for us as college coaches, baseball is as tricky as anything. Your GM, roster manager, academic advisor trying to get guys in and out of apartments and match roommates it's crazy but so when you ask me how I like the date I'd rather it be you know mid-June would be more helpful noted Keith and I will do what we can well all that said do do you have a feel and and uh I don't follow that follow this that closely but the three kids who were drafted uh, I guess they're turning pro and then there's maybe a Juco kid that was thought to sign, but you're going to keep them and another one who is going to sign. I mean, can you give us an update on who's who's in and who's out or is it still in flux right now? Until July 25th, guys, I, I can't answer that. Like, I can't answer that. You know, Dorsey, the left-handed pitcher from Gulf Coast, Carson Dorsey, he was a draft and follow. So he had a period of time. Um, maybe a couple weeks out of the next draft where he could sign with, I think it was the Texas Rangers that had his rights. There's a cap on that. There's a dollar cap on what you can do as a draft and follow. So he was not willing to take that. And then he was not drafted. He kind of said, um, I want to go to school. So, you know, he would be the one right now that's really looking good to be on, on campus. And it's a dynamic left-handed arm. Um, Gavin Adams, I just, I don't know. Like, it's, it's looking good, but these major league organizations, these are billion-dollar outfits. So the amount of money they have at their disposal, like, may, maybe it's just you don't know. It, they, they have the capability to do things. Um, we, just, we just have to see. Now, they have slotting regulations and rules and things that they have to follow, but, you know, you – that's a big time right-handed 94, 98 arm that would be great and would really benefit from being with us for a year. I think it would be a one-year situation and 
he comes in and figures out his craft a little bit more. I think the discussion next draft is far different from what he's doing right now. And he's so excited about it. Um, but clearly July 25th is, is not right now. There's, there's a week. So, um, yeah, J-Bomb, you know, we'll see. He positioned himself really well. But as a sophomore, gosh, like you want to talk about Skeens and Louder and, and guys that go on the front end of the first round, I think he's in that discussion after next year. He was still figuring out what to do. The guy was a catcher for the bulk of his time and pitched some. But you, you saw him start to put it together. So, you know, I talked to him today like, hey, if you see it through, Think about the conversation you have next year at this time. Like it's could be far different. So, but these are family decisions and the kids have to do what they feel is right for where they are. Um, and it's, it's, it's a difficult thing to etch in stone. You just, you don't know until July 25th. Link, uh, the clock is ticking closer towards July 25th. I can't imagine what it's like every time your phone buzzes and you know it's a text. Is it going to be good news or bad news? But hang in there, and we we appreciate uh, your, your time and uh, know you're getting things turned around, and uh, good luck to you. Hang in there. Well, thank you. Yeah, you know, the neatest thing about the draft for me was Colt Vincent. Like, you think about that guy and what he went through to get to Florida State and ended up, shoot, I think the year before I got here, I know when we played him four times, he caught every pitch. Um, and then kind of did the same thing this year to think that he's a San Diego Padre. That was just so cool for him and for me, because here's a guy that actually kind of just picked up switch hitting and look, look what he's doing right now. I, I, you know, so there's things that disappoint you with the draft and how it goes for guys and who you lose. But man, that one makes up for a lot when a guy like that gets a chance to go play professional baseball really cool happy for him well said that is well said link jarrett we'll take a break come back with more front row knolls right after this be sure to subscribe to the front row knolls podcast and follow at front row knolls on twitter now back to at underscore tom block and twitterless keith jones yes you heard us right in the prime meridian bank studios couple minutes to finish up and I didn't have we didn't have time to get into this we're talking so much about the draft I, I wanted Link's opinion about ways to to speed up the college baseball game as it relates to some of the changes that have been made at the major league level KJ I, I don't know maybe this is just my opinion but you have college softball where you can have an eight to seven really good college softball game that takes two and a half hours. But if you have an eight to seven really good college baseball game, it takes three hours and 45 minutes. And so at some point to me, they've and, and I've gone to several major league games this year and, and the clock rules have helped. Uh, they haven't, to me, they haven't compromised the game. They've made it better and the games are shorter and, and more entertaining. What little bit that I've done, because again, I'm not a huge uh, MLB or uh, NBA fan, uh, it does appear so. And I would suspect that as successful as it appears to have been at the MLB level, you know, it'll work its way down. And at some point next year, the year after, you know, the college game will start looking at some of those things. I would think so. Yeah. And to be clear, I don't, I don't make a habit of watching Major League Baseball on a nightly basis, but my son and I, as I talked about with Kurt, he, he's touring the stadiums. My son and I like to go to different stadiums. So we hit four this summer and just watching the games, 
it, it is noticeable. Not noticeable like, man, this game needs to slow down. It's America's pastime. Just noticeable that when you're done, you're in the eighth inning and it's only two hours and five minutes into the game. And, and the game's over and it's two hours and 26 minutes. I mean, it it's gotten better. And to me, it hasn't compromised the integrity of the game. And there's other rules besides the clock rule, the bigger bases, uh, that you can't do the shift anymore the way they have the rules configured. I, I to me, it's 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 been a it's been good changes. Well, as long as we could do something with the targeting rules so that the uh, college football game would meet Mr. Block's approval, uh, we, we probably should do something with the collegiate baseball game, too. Keith, you know how to solve the targeting rule. We just need national officials so that everybody enforces it the same way. We've been over this. Yes, yes, sir. I apologize. Once we get them, I'll still complain. We're out of time, folks. Appreciate Kurt Weiler and Link Jarrett joining us. Uh, next week's show, ACC kickoff, David Hale from uh, ESPN will join us, and we'll talk all things ACC. Have a great week. He's Keith. I'm Tom. Thanks for tuning in to Front Row Knowles.